If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. So welcome to the podcast today, Libby. I would love to start by understanding what led you to become a solo mum by choice. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm a long-time listener and look forward to your podcast dropping every Tuesday morning. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to start by apologising that um, I'm in the depths of sleep deprivation. So if something doesn't make sense or I struggle to think, then um, that might be why. This, um, is, this is real life. So this is, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Really like. coming, coming from the trenches. Um, so I guess my journey to become a solo mum is not that different to a number of your previous guests. Um, although I wasn't really a girly girl, I always wanted to be a mum. Mm-hmm. I suspect there was probably influenced by, you know, the norms of society and expectations and um, you know, I had a mother who made it quite clear that she would always like me to have children. Right. Um, although, of course, you know, I had to get my career under my belt first. Um, I had to do it in the right order. Um, and I even remember having a conversation with a friend of mine around the age of 18 that if I hadn't found a man that I would just have children on my own. Wow, that young so, you're Okay. Yeah, exactly. So whether I set my own future <laughs> from that point I don't know but perhaps um that said I still sort of had in my head that my life plan was to be married at 30 start having children at 32 mm-hmm. you know I had it all planned out um and of course life didn't work like that um I had a couple of reasonably serious relationships in my 20s but not to the point where children were an imminent consideration um and at 30 I was single with no marriage in sight. Um, So by that stage, I sort of decided to focus on my career. um, And I actually sort of chose my career path based on the flexibility and security that it would give me when I had children, if and when I had children. Wow, that's Um, very planned. Okay. Yeah. So I think a lot of the decisions that I made in my life were sort of with the background idea of having children. And You know, it's funny because a lot of people would sort of think that 
my career got in the way of having children and, and I sort of chose that. But actually I would have chosen children over a career anytime. Mm. Um, but it just didn't happen that way. Um, you know, I was still sort of holding out hope to do it with a partner. And um, throughout my 30s, I sort of went back and forth with, you know, having them on my own or only having them if I had a partner. Um, a lot of the time I felt like it wasn't meant to be if I didn't have a partner. Um, and I sort of had all my ducks in a row. I, I achieved my career goal at about 32. So then I spent about five years dating pretty hardcore. <laughs> um, it was oh. mostly mostly disastrous. It was also about the time that Tinder um, hit the the dating scene. So um, yeah, it was it was not great. Um, but I often had like multiple dates in a week, sometimes even two in a day. Like I was doing my best to find this elusive partner. It always um, becomes like a second profession, doesn't it? You're like a professional it is. dater. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Had, uh, yeah. It took up a lot of time actually. Um, yeah. But obviously didn't meet the right person. Um I actually went to see a fertility specialist when I was 34 to see about freezing eggs. Um, we did all the testing and I've always sort of been told that I'm on the cusp of polycystic ovary syndrome. So, um, basically I had cysts on my follicles, but, you know, not so many of the other sort of signs, I guess. And so she's told me that, you know, I should be okay in a couple of years still. Um, and also one of the things that she said was that, um, that actually, you know, freezing embryos had a better success rate than freezing eggs. And yeah. I was like, well, that's great, but I don't have the man. I'm missing so at a that part point, that. I, yeah. And so I just thought, well, if that's the way, then I'll give it a couple more years and then think about, you know, seriously doing it on my own then. Um, so the dating continued, um, still no success. Uh, and I'll be honest that sometimes I was kind of hoping that I might accidentally get pregnant um, through the <laughs> through that so I didn't have to go through it on my own. But also I knew that I didn't want to have to share my children with anyone. Um, so that was a big factor in this for me. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people who whose relationships had broken down when the children were young and having to deal with, with um, co-parenting and stuff and I knew that that wasn't what I wanted. So um, I think I got to about 37 and I was feeling pretty sorry for myself uh, about giving up on having children. And then something just sort of changed. Um, and I, I don't know what it is really, but I sort of just knew that I would regret it if I didn't try. So I'd always had it in my head that I wouldn't have kids after the age of 40. Um, you know, if push came to shove, I probably would have, but I know a lot of people are sort of similar in that. Yeah. Um, so I decided I'd better get a wriggle on. And uh, in January 2019, I started my journey to be a solo mum. Wow. Um, yeah. So having said that, I still had a little bit of, I hadn't quite given up on the fairy tale. And I was still doing some dating, even when I started having my uh, appointments and treatment. But um, I'm glad now that none of that eventuated and that, that I ended up doing it on my own. I was the same after my first round didn't work out. I was like, maybe it's a sign I meant to meet everyone, someone. And I was like, yeah. like speed dating and doing more dating. Cause I had a couple of months off and I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Not the way. yeah, exactly. 
yeah 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 that's right and so did it take you long your journey to get pregnant no so look I was really lucky um it was sort of I started in the period before it got too crazy with waiting times and all of that so I did I did have to go on a waiting list um for IUI Mm -hmm. and yeah look I found the whole process really challenging with regards to how the clinic was run and their transparency on how everything worked um how everything was going to cost and also their communication about like what to expect and how everything um happens and like I have a bit of a medical background so I just thought you know along the way how hard it must be for people who don't have any of that you know to understand everything that's going on so um I did find the whole process very challenging although I was extremely lucky compared to a lot of people so I ended up I'd actually booked a holiday um for a month in Europe um as sort of a last hurrah for the in the year that I'd started so I didn't realize about the whole IUI thing at that stage and and um anyway I thought well I'll I'll give it a go once before I go and you know ideally I wouldn't be pregnant while I was over there but equally I didn't want to waste any time yeah um and unfortunately that actually got cancelled um because they missed my ovulation which I didn't even know was a thing I know and um so I really struggled with that I didn't even know that that could happen and when I asked them you know how does this happen like you know that's the only thing that you guys are meant to be doing nobody could really explain it to me and so I was a bit uh upset about that and they also still charge you for the cycle um, it's less than it would be normally, but, you know, in the fine print it says um, if a cycle is cancelled for any reason, even if you cancel it, then you'll still get charged. Um, yeah, so I found that very challenging and I sort of lost uh, a fair bit of trust in the whole process. And so I ended up um, asking to go straight to IVF um, for a number of reasons, but I just thought, well, if I can get this done before I go away, then I can have a transfer when I get back. And um, I also always had in the back of my mind that potentially I would like more than one child. And I thought, well, you know, if I do this now, then I won't have to potentially go through IVF with a toddler in tow and all that sort of stuff later on. Did so, you do a lot of research to find the clinic that you went with or how did you select? No, I didn't. I didn't. So I did just, um, I chose mainly on location. So it was close to work and it was fairly close to home as well. Um, And it was back then, you know, there were two main players and I just sort of went with the one that was closest. Yeah. yeah. So, and my, you know, I know a lot of people uh, have very good relationships with their um, fertility specialists and stuff, but I never had that. And I, it didn't really bother me that much, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess because, I kind of knew what I, well, I thought I knew what I needed and what was happening, but, um, you know, I I had hoped that it wouldn't be too challenging and um, in retrospect it would have been better to probably choose somebody um, that I got along with better. Yeah. Um, And that I had more trust in, but I don't know. I mean, I think there's, you know, how long is a piece of string as well, like, I mean, just making one appointment with a fertility specialist is 
what, a few hundred dollars, yeah. um, you know, so shopping around, would it have made much difference? I don't know. Um, and, yeah, back then there weren't the options so much with regards to clinics. So um, I just went with that. And it was handy to have it, you know, in close proximity. So I, I ended up staying with them regardless. I think once you're sort of in there, they sort of have you over a barrel a bit. Um, and so, yeah, I certainly wouldn't recommend them to anybody else. But um, anyway, he agreed to go ahead with the IVF. Um, well, it was ICSI, if you want to be technical. Um, and, yeah, I was really lucky and I had I got um, 35 eggs. <laughs> and, uh, Did you say 35 and- eggs? <laughs> yeah. That just sounds yeah. like a simulation of you. Surely, well, surely. yeah, and and that's the other thing they Ouch. didn't really communicate. You know what would happen after the collection, and that you know they give you this handout, but it doesn't really say much. And yeah, I was very painful and could hardly walk for a few days after that. Um, but I'd already just imagine you know, like how bloated you would have been before that as well. And oh, <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I was meant to be playing hockey, you know, and I was like, oh no, guys, can't play um this weekend or the weekend after, um. Anyway, so, yes, I was very lucky, um, ended up with 10 embryos and I just froze all of them um, to use when I got back from my trip. Um, so first frozen embryo transfer and actually um, fell pregnant with my first child. So I was, yeah, extremely grateful. Um, definitely one of the lucky ones. So so was that maybe a month or two months after you had the collection? Uh, so I had the collection in June and then I had the transfer in September. I think yep. there's more and more research yep. coming out now saying that if you can delay it a couple of months, that helps. So it yeah, helps right. A more, a more natural environment for sticking. Well, that was what the, the fertility specialist yeah. said anyway. So. Yeah, I think there definitely is a move to frozen embryo transfer. Um, so, yeah, it worked out, worked out really well. Brilliant. Yep. And how did you go with selecting the donor? I found that very challenging as well. Um, Not so much how to choose the donor, but the process at the clinic again. Um, So at that time, there was just this one lady who you had to email to get the profiles and then you had to email her back when, you know, you'd chosen one and, you know, she had to pencil your name in and you were sort of competing against however many other people um, and, you know, so if she was away or something, you, you couldn't get a hold of her. And so, you know, it's quite an important thing for us. Yeah. And so I found that very challenging. Um, I think things have changed since then. Um, but also at the beginning of my um, process, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll put you on the waiting list. She said, the email said, I went back and had a look at all these emails because I have a terrible memory. And um, she said, at the moment, you're number nine on the waiting list. She said, we're waiting for some Caucasian donors to be released. And I replied and I said, so are there any non-Caucasian donors at the moment? And she replied and said, oh, yeah, there's four. Hmm. And I said, well, can I see their profiles? <laughs> you know, she decided I'm not... for you what you wanted. Okay. Well, exactly. It was so strange. I was like, I'm not against, you know, having um, a mixed ethnicity child. Um, so anyway, she said, oh, well, I'll have to show the other nine women ahead of you. And I thought, well, why haven't they been shown already? Anyway, so I found that very strange. So I actually really liked one of um, those profiles. So it was, um, he was Danish, but had an Indian 
parent as well. So he was half Caucasian, half Indian and um, had a really lovely profile. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, a bit of olive skin in the family would be good. <laughs> save on sunscreen. Um, and so I was quite happy with that decision. And then when my IUI got cancelled, um, oh, actually how it worked was I got a call. I'd started my period for that cycle for the IUI and they rang me up and they said, oh, listen, we've just thawed this um, man for your IUI and the sperm is not of good quality as we, as we expected for IUI, so um, you can't use him. So we've oh. got these two other profiles that you can look at. And interestingly, these two new profiles were both Caucasians. So I'm not sure where they came from. Hmm. But okay. it turned out that the they had shipped in the semen from the first donor from New Zealand. And there was, I mean, at that point, you were only able to choose from local donors. Hmm. And there was nothing in his profile to suggest that he was in New Zealand. And so I was really quite upset about that as well, because I started, you know, I sort of lost trust in the information that they were giving me about the donors as well. Um, so, yeah, so. I'm just sitting thinking have... about all the poor women in New Zealand that are so desperate to get access to sperm that the waiting list is three and a half years and you, yeah. they had sperm yeah. from New Zealand. What? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And when I ended up going to do IVF, he was on the IVF, IVF list and they changed his um, ethnicity and his... <laughs> nationality to Australia and New Zealand and I'm like oh okay this is very strange I know um and also like the profiles were very varied in the amount of information that they gave um which was challenging but um yeah I guess what I was looking for wasn't so much um physical characteristics it was more trying to get an idea of whether they seem like a nice person to be honest because I guess in my head I was thinking about my children and if they um, did end up having a relationship with him in the future or ended up wanting to get in contact with him then I wanted him to be a nice person. Um, I know a lot of people have said that you know the health history was really important but in my mind everybody has something in their in their family history and I actually appreciated the profiles that had quite detailed health history because at least you knew what you're up against and I think a lot of men are not very good at knowing their health yes, history and no so idea, <laughs> exactly so I think the profiles that had nothing I felt like they were too good to be true and that you know it wasn't necessarily to be trusted um, but anyway, so yeah, so I think in the end, I had three donor choices, uh, but the one I ended up just with one with the IVF process, um, obviously I didn't need to do anything more after that. So yeah. And it just, it just sounded like a nice guy. I was lucky that he was quite tall as well. Um, yeah. for something that I had hoped for, but was quite hard to find. Um, yeah, but you know, you kind of never really know, do you? So 10 embryos, lucky with the first one. Yep, yep. And then um, so I was always wanting a second, but I must admit I did not have a good uh, fourth trimester with my first child. It okay. was really, really challenging. So I 
was very nervous about trying for number two um, and ideally I probably would have put it off longer but I'm not getting any younger. So, um, yeah, I just sort of bit the bullet and, and started that process um, when my son was about 18 months. Okay. Um, so fourth trimester didn't, was it just different to what you planned or? Well, very different because, you know, old COVID hit. Right. Um, so I actually ended up staying with my parents in a different state for five months with my firstborn. Um, that was not the plan. <laughs> that was not the plan. So, yeah, and I just had, he was, he's what we call, what they like to call a little sparkler. I've since um, found is quite a nice name for them, but basically a child that didn't want to sleep. Um, it was a very bad sleeper. So there was that. And then also I had trouble with feeding and with the milk supply. So um, yeah, it was it was a really tough time. And I think, you know, not being in my own environment and, um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have my friends around me and, you know, the the village that I had imagined in my head um, wasn't there, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was very, very difficult. I mean, it was great that I was with my parents because, you know, I didn't have to cook or clean for that whole time. Yeah. But, um, yeah the sleep deprivation deprivation really sort of sucked the joy out of life, I think, to be honest. Um, At what and, point did you decide to move in with them? Was it well, always a plan so, and they just got extended? No, not or? at all, no. So I just, we, mum came down for the um, birth and then she had to be back at her home in um, when he was three weeks old and so we just decided that we would go with them and just spend a few weeks up there and that's when one of the lockdowns happened and so we just stayed and it just the lockdowns continued and, <laughs> continued and so we couldn't really get back and um you know with all the trouble that we had I mean it ended up being the best thing for us because it would have been really hard on my own down at down in Melbourne but um yeah was not the plan and also, like, you know, I hadn't, I'd only packed for a few weeks. And so I had, I was really lucky. I had all these hand-me-down clothes and I had all these cloth nappies and, you know, all these things that I'd planned to do. And, um, yeah, we had to go out and buy more clothes and a cot and all these sorts of things. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a real challenge. But, um, yeah, so I was very nervous about doing that again. Um, in fact, very anxious. And I must admit, even when I, when I got pregnant the first time trying for number two, there was a lot of anxiety about that. Yeah. Um, but I equally, I decided that I wasn't going to let that stop me from doing it. I guess in my head I imagined, you know, 20 years from now, who did I want around my kitchen table? Yeah. And, you know, I always loved visiting families that were big and busy and noisy and messy and, you know, I just thought, oh, actually, I would love to have more than one child around that table. So um, I just prayed for a sleeper <laughs> and thought I would just have to manage. And I also then decided that if I was going to have number two, that I would move. So I moved into state when I was 34 weeks pregnant. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I could I could just cope on my own with one, but I knew that if I was having another one, then I would need help from my parents. I think 
as much as I had a really good network of friends and neighbours in Melbourne, look, as you've discussed with other people, we're not very good at asking for help. And um, particularly when it comes to just keeping an eye on the kids last minute or, you know, just coming around to keep you a bit sane and like so you can do the cleaning and all that sort of stuff. It kind of, it's so much easier with your parents who you know would do anything for you. Um, and I sort of didn't get that, I guess, from from the village that I had, had been hoping for. Um, yeah, so decided to make the move. So once you moved back to Melbourne at five months, was it quite different than what you expected? I think we yeah. lockdowns, but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. It just, I mean, you know, it was, it was nice to have the friends back there that you could go out with and, and all that sort of stuff. But I guess when it comes down to it, it's really just you. And, and I think it's a lot easier to, yeah, I find it a lot easier to ask my parents for help than anybody else. Um, and, you know, my son just loved them to pieces as well. You know, he just loves being around them. And I thought I didn't grow up with my grandparents around. And I thought, well, actually, this is something that I can do for them. Um, So that was sort of another factor, I guess. And I enjoy, you know, they were probably my biggest support throughout this whole process. And, you know, we were on FaceTime every day and, um, you know, I just know how much they love them. And so I was just like, it's it's a win-win. As much as I sort of miss my friends down in Melbourne and the things to do and all that sort of stuff, um, yeah, I think it was the right move for us. Was did it take quite a bit to make that decision? Uh, yes and no. I guess I I think it was fairly easy because once I decided that I wanted that child, mm. I knew that that was what I had to do. For me personally, I know there are plenty of people that have multiple children without family around, and props to them. I don't know how they how they do it. Um, I mean, look. Having said that, I still day to day it still comes down to me. And but it's just nice to have them around, really. Um, and I probably could have managed in Melbourne, but we've got a lot more space up here. Um, you know, I couldn't afford to buy a bigger place down there. And yeah. um, you know, I think there's pros and cons to to both. But you basically decided to raising children when you went for number two that that if you were successful, you'd be moving. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I probably I. <laughs> I wanted to have the pregnancy established before we sort of went through that process, which in the end, you know, I don't know whether it was a good idea leaving it that long um, because <laughs> I'm moving at 34, moving weeks, at 34 when, weeks. I oh. know with a toddler as well, like it was, yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, but anyway, it's amazing what us solo moms can manage. That's what it shows you. You know, we can, we can get through most things. So we're pretty stubborn. We find a way for most things. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we've got another one now. Is that a little boy or a little girl? Yeah, so two boys. We've got two boys. Yeah, so he wasn't quite as easy to conceive. Um, I had a missed miscarriage with that first pregnancy, um, which, you know, I had in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, maybe I did this because of the anxiety and, you know, not being sure. But I know in reality that that's not true. Um, but anyway, that was uh, something that I hadn't experienced before uh, and found very challenging as well. You know, a lot of people don't talk about it and, um, you know, it's hard to know what to do in those situations. And, of course, you know, when you've got a toddler at home and it was still sort of COVID times as well. So 
um, yeah, that was a challenging time. And then once I got through that, I had another transfer which didn't take. And then um, on the third transfer, I was successful. So, um, yeah, another little boy. And what's the age gap so, between the two of them? It's about two and a half years. Yeah. And how's so, the fourth trimester gone with him? Oh, he was my miracle baby. Um, I did get my wish and he was an amazing sleeper. Yeah. And notice I say was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a totally different experience. And I think too, um, because I knew it was my last time, I kind of wanted to really try and enjoy it more, yeah. um, regardless of whether he was a good sleeper or not. But the fact that he came out a chilled baby and was just, you know, a lot happier and feeding went better and sleep was much better. Um, you know, it made the whole experience a lot more enjoyable. So, um, yeah, we've since uh, lost my, my, my unicorn sleeping baby has turned into a mule. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, at about three and a half months, I'd, I'd bought a snoo and everything. That was going to be my um, magical trick as well to keep him a good sleeper, but that hasn't hasn't worked. So um, anyway, no, but he's still a joy. He's a very happy baby. Um, and we just started solids and he's moving around already and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, And how fun. did your it, older son adapt to becoming a big brother? Yeah, that was very challenging. So he was not happy about the situation. I mean, it was it was hard because he he you could tell he he loved him, like well at least it's what he was telling us, but his behaviour suggested otherwise at yeah. times. Um yeah, I think having to share me was really difficult. And so there was a lot of big feelings, a lot. And the first couple of weeks in particular were very challenging. Um and even now, as much as he loves having him around and sometimes he's he's good with him, there's a lot of um, underlying sort of feelings, I think, where he um, will quite often, you know, you can't, but you basically can't trust him to be alone right. with the baby. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's all that unusual behaviour. Um, but, yeah, and, and I just, I guess, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trying the best I can to uh, establish a good sibling relationship. Like I would hate it if they didn't get along well. So, you know, I try not to get too upset with him when he do, does these sorts of things. And I listen to a lot of parenting podcasts and, you know, but in the end, particularly when, you know, you're trying to be in two places at once and you're sleep deprived and you're exhausted you know, there's more yelling in the household than um, I would like. And, um, yeah, there's still a lot of big feelings going around. But I think in general um, he likes having a, a little brother and I'm I'm hopeful that they will enjoy playing with each other when they get older. If there's anyone else who's about to have number two, have you got any advice from what you've learnt of what you'd do maybe differently next time that you think would help or...? Not really. I mean, I think you've just got to do the best that you can, really. I um, I actually had my mum come and stay for the first couple of weeks, and I think that actually made it harder on my older son. Okay. Because his yeah, his his behaviour was even worse during that time, and I think maybe that was just too much change. Yeah. And also, you know, it's funny because 
and all, all of the parenting um, experts and that they're like, don't make any major changes within three months of the new baby coming. Uh, you know, and what did I do? We moved into state. He changed daycare, um, you know. It was before the baby, though. That's okay. Yeah, but that's right. No, it was within three months of the baby coming. So, um, yeah, so I would try not to do all of those things, but, you know, life happens. Um, And, yeah, I think you just have to – I just try and talk to him about things, even if I've, you know, gotten upset with him or or whatever, then we try and have the the talk and, you know, I know it's hard to have a little brother, but, you know – try and be gentle with him and help him out and stuff but look I I'm no expert and I don't have all the answers by any means so watch this spot um yeah so if you think about what you thought life was going to be like as a solo mum with with kids how do you think it's different from what you imagined it would be I don't think it's really that different um you know, I expected it to be hard and it is hard. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but I, you know, I, it is what I really wanted. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people. I know lots of friends that have been dying to, you know, leave the kids with a babysitter and go out for dinner and, you know, have a few drinks and stuff. And I've done all of that, you know, like I've, and I've done my traveling and I've done the career stuff. So I kind of, I was at a point in my life where I didn't know what I was going to do with myself if I didn't have kids, if you get what I mean. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy enough to completely give myself over to them now. Um, I would love to have a bit more sleep. Um, I'm certainly, I'm more of a high high need sleep person, but yeah, I, I do find that's really difficult. Um, but day to day, you know, there's lots of joy as well. Um, you know, it's just it's fun to watch them learn new things and, you know, they say the funniest things and um yeah, so no, I think it is about about what I expected to be honest. And have you managed to build a bit of a network now that you've moved and the boys are a bit older? Yeah, I'm trying. It's really hard, you know, when you move places, but I have lived here before. Um as an adult. So I had some older friends um, and I've, you know, made a concerted effort to try and build a new network with mm-hmm. children about the same age. That's one thing that I was a bit concerned about as well, I guess, with um, moving to somewhere that doesn't have such a strong solo mom by choice network. So I'd actually met, you know, a lot of solo mums down in Melbourne and had some really good friends through that network and loved going to the meetups and, so, you know, I, I've sort of reached out and I've met a couple. Oh, good. Um, if, if there's any other solo mums in Wagga Wagga, get a hold of, <laughs> reach out, get a hold of Alicia and she can pass on my contact details. Um, yeah, I'd love to sort of have other kids, you know, in the same situation um, for my children to grow up with. Um, but, yeah, so we're getting there. We're getting there definitely. And, um, you know, I think that, that would be one of my suggestions to people that, trying to find at least one friend who's sort of going through a similar sort of um, stage to you yeah. and and sort of parents similarly or is having similar sort of experiences because I think talking to them really helps um, just to sort of have a bit of a whinge together and, you know, know that you're not the only one. Um, so I've been lucky with the local playgroup. I've met another mum who's got a 
an eight and a half month old who's in a similar situation. She's not a solo mum, but you know, we all go through the same sort of challenges. So yeah, um, I think that's helpful as well. So yeah, I think I think we'll get there. And have you thought anything about contact with the donor or donor siblings? Yeah, so I actually put us on the voluntary register in VATA with VATA when um, my oldest was four months old. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an immediate match oh, wow. um, with one family. Yeah, so that was really nice. And then another family joined up probably a month or two after that. Yeah. So we had those two and both women seemed very nice. Um and once I got back to Melbourne, I, I met up with the one that was in Melbourne. And then since then, we've actually found two other families um, via Facebook groups. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so really lucky with that. And we unfortunately, the other couple we only sort of connected with not long before we left Melbourne. So I think we met up with them once or twice. Um, but actually, one of the ladies I'd actually met at a solo mum picnic when we were both pregnant yeah, and um, I didn't know who it was, and we'd sort of um, messaged on Facebook to potentially catch up at some point, and kind of never happened with sick children and COVID and all that sort of stuff. But so it was really lovely to find out that um, she'd used the same donor, and um, yeah, so that's that's really good, and we're actually trying to hopefully we can keep those connections going, and um, we just organised a weekend away in October. Um, midway between Melbourne and and Wagga um, to have a weekend away with everyone and, and all of us are, are going to be there. So wow, that's, yeah, really lovely. Um, and I think I, I just always thought, just from listening to other donor-conceived um, people's stories, that, you know, it seemed like they really held value in donor siblings and that they wished that they knew them from early on. So that was kind of where I went with that and I'm sort of you know the more people that love my child and you know the more the merrier is is sort of my philosophy on all of that so yeah we'll wait and see I know that the all 10 um, donor spots have been used so there's still five families that we haven't connected with and you know we don't know what their situation is but hopefully with time we'll learn who they are. And where do your kids sit in terms of ages are they Older or middle? Uh, so they range from, I think the oldest is six. Okay. And, yeah, and then Spencer will be the youngest at um, five and a half months. So they're all sort of within that range. So it's quite nice actually. Um, yeah, because uh, my eldest is three now. And I'm really excited to hear about um, how the trip away goes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we've decided to all stay in separate cabins. Yeah. <laughs> so we've all got our own space at a caravan park. Um, yeah, so hopefully it will, it will go well. Uh, they all seem, yeah, really lovely people, so very lucky. I guess I know some people are a bit concerned about once you make that connection, you know, if you don't get along well with them, and I guess that's always a risk, but I think it's worth doing. Um, you never know. Um, with regards to the donor, my thoughts are a bit different. Um, I guess I've thought that it's probably up to the boys to decide if and when they meet him. Um, I'd be supportive if they want to do it before they're 18. But I guess I go back and forth about getting in contact with him myself um, early, mainly because I think it would be good to be able to manage the kids' expectations. Mm. 
yeah. about what he might want in the future. So I guess, you know, I don't want to be saying to my boys, well, when you're 18, you can meet your donor and, you know, find out more about him when he's not open to that. Um, or, you know, if he's not around anymore, like mm. he was sort of an older donor as well. So by the time they're 18, he'll be in his 70s, I think. So, um, yeah, and I also, you know, wanted to say thank you and to I'm, I'm willing to share photos and and keep him up to date with the kids if they if he wanted to. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of tossing that up, I guess, um, but I think there would be some advantages to early contact. Um, I think I would still leave it to the boys as to meeting in person, though. That sounds quite aligned with what I'm currently thinking as well. Yeah. It's just on my very long to-do list. but Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, and now that we're interstate as well, I guess even if I sort of met up with him, I guess we've got that distance. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, unless you until you meet them and, and, you know, whether you have a connection, whether you want to see more of them or not, you know, it's a tricky thing. But I think we've all just got to go in with the, the right intentions of what we're doing is for our kids and hopefully it will all work out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And how do you think becoming a mother has changed you as a woman? Well, it's totally changed my life. I mean, I guess, um, as I sort of said to you before, my my life is my kids at the moment and, and I'm okay with that. Um, there's not a lot of me time. I know a lot of friends are sort of like, you know, do you have any time for yourself? And um, uh, no, <laughs> not really. But I could potentially do that, but I don't really feel the need to do it. Um you know, as I said before, like I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life without them. So um, having said that, like daycare is great. <laughs> I love daycare days. I'm happy for daycare to have them <laughs> and to have that break. Um, yeah, but no, I guess, you know, it's just sort of confirmed how resilient, you know, I can be when you're yeah. in the depths of illness and all that sort of stuff. It's amazing what we can achieve um and to be honest with you I I kind of it still seems a bit surreal I'm I I sort of I can't I don't it just seems strange that I have two children if you go know what I mean like I <laughs> feel like I'm a, I'm a mother I was funny when we were moving I I bought a picture to put on the wall when I was staging my home and I said to one of my friends I was like oh, I feel like a real grown-up now you know I put artwork on the wall because I'm just not into um you know, interior decorating or anything and she said uh you know that you've you've had a child right <laughs> I think, grown I, up think now. Yeah, I think I think that makes you a grown-up I'm like saying yeah that's true um but yeah no so it's sort of given me given me purpose I guess yeah. and yeah I think it will just bring a lot of joy into my life in the future which is what I was hoping for is this something that you're really looking forward to doing with the boys when they're older not really. I'm, I must admit, I'm, I mean, I mean, I just love watching them grow, you know, and just seeing them develop. And so I think that will just be interesting as time goes on. Like that's, you know, just normal day-to-day experiences I think I enjoy. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, like to travel with their kids and I would love to be that person, 
but my experiences so far with traveling with a very poor sleeper has have not been fun so I kind of I say to everyone I'll start traveling when they're seven (laughs) they might be old enough to remember it hopefully they're sleeping better and it will be more enjoyable um you know, I feel like traveling at the moment is just parenting in a different location, but it's a lot harder because you're sleep deprived and you don't have all your stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So no, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to seeing how they, how they develop. I think it too, it's, in some ways it's more interesting not knowing what the other half is like, you know, you've got some ideas from their profile, but, um, you know, you sort of pick out certain things and you're like, oh, I wonder if that comes from the donor or whatever. But... Well, there's something in myself that I don't quite realise is now showing <laughs> up on them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Probably the parts that annoy you the most is actually you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> I think I'm lucky too that I wasn't, um, you know, I'm not that much of a girly girl and so hopefully I'll be able to deal with the boy situation. Um, you know, and I think it's it's nice that there's two boys in the end as much as I was a bit disappointed that I didn't get my girl. Um, don't tell Spencer that. But um, uh, I think it'll be good for them to be able to have, you know, boy-man discussions and and hopefully they can help each other um, given that they don't have a father for that. But um, they get a bit, bit older, they can wrestle and all those <sighs> things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Started already. <laughs> See how we go. <laughs> yep. And if you look back now, is there anything that you think you would have done differently on your journey? Uh, like a lot of people probably wish that I hadn't wasted so much time dating and that I'd started earlier. Um, you know, I feel like I've aged 100 years in the last few years and maybe if I was a bit younger, <laughs> I could cope with it a bit better. But having said that, you know, I, th- I thought it was important to get my career behind me and be settled and and you know have have some savings and all that sort of stuff so um you know that wouldn't have happened until then and um I did have someone who said it's not that they wish they'd started earlier it's wish that they wish they hadn't wasted the time dating and had just spent them that time on themselves and doing things yes. that they enjoyed and I was like ah oh, yes yeah We've that's true so that's better yeah that's very true and look I did a lot of self-work in the lead up to having children as well because you know, we've all got our issues and I didn't want to um, repeat the cycle. Um, so, you know, I think that's important as well. And I certainly went into it in a much better headspace um, than I was before. So, you know, certainly things that I focus on with my parenting and that is it's a lot to do with the work that I did beforehand, if you get what I mean. Um, you know, we've all got our own different things, but I think that... Um, would be a good thing to try and do as well. Yeah. And if anyone is on the fence about whether this is the right journey for them, what advice would you give them? Look, I just think if you've got to this point and you will regret not trying, if you think, you know, in the future you'll regret it, then I think it's just worth doing. Um, I think somebody said to me once, you know, you don't regret the children that you have, you regret the children that you don't have. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah. I mean, look, parenting is challenging, but I don't. Well, look, maybe there are people that regret having their children. <laughs> there are moments. No, there are moments. <laughs> there are moments, perhaps, and uh, when we're in the throes of it. But you know, um, yeah, I would say just go for it. Um, you know, and 
some people are sort of worried about how they'll manage and and the finances and all that sort of stuff and you just do you know it's amazing what what we can achieve and I think most women who get to that point and and who go ahead with it are very strong people and um you know it's hard but you'll get through it find a way so just yeah just do it and yeah maybe do a bit more research on specialists and clinics if that's the the path that you're going to take um don't be afraid to ask questions and and question things as well don't just sort of take everything they say to heart um but then also I think I did my head in doing all my own research about things as well so I don't Keep know off google yes <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your story today Olivia I can't wait for other people to hear it and hear about your two gorgeous boys well, thank you very much for having us and I look forward to hearing everybody else's stories in the future. It's um, a wonderful thing. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.